Yeah, I mean, I want six years and 150 million too, if you, frankly, but. I won't sign for anything less than seven two hundred. Craig is nothing if not egalitarian. Um, I'm going to look that yeah, up, for- and I'm going to tell you whether or not that's true. When Josh Toy was catching, he'd open up the door. It's like ah, and slam it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who are you? And welcome to episode number 35 of Artificial Turf Wars, where it's our third year in a row getting an unqualified offer. Uh, I am your host, Greg Wisniewski. I am joined tonight, as usual, by Josh Housem. How you doing, Josh? Good. And Good. sitting in the booth, if you actually believe we have a booth, Nick Dyka. <laughs> How you doing, Nick? Hey, Greg. I'm doing uh, doing really well. Welcome back to the show. Good well, to have Thanks a- for having me. Good to have a third talking head. That's uh, what yeah, it's all I, about around here. I feel kind of like Buck Martinez getting the the call up for the World Series. You know. <laughs> so, um, that, so what does that make us? I am Dan Shulman. I am Dan Shulman. I'll get my. <clears throat> I'm Dan Shulman. There we are. I'm afraid that leaves you as Pat Tabler. <laughs> He's in the World Series, Greg. <laughs> well, okay. You're John Smoltz, former pitcher. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pat Tabler. Well, this guy's quite the ball player. He's got really good, strong hands. <laughs> we are going to tell a joke. I'll take 25 minutes to tell the same joke. <laughs> uh, we, we are dangerously uh, <laughs> close to going completely off the rails, and it is one minute into the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> we're doing the well. Reason, the reason all three of us are here um, is so that uh, we can each give our perspective on a, a bunch of uh, moments in the season and, and things that happened, players we were watching, uh, sort of different awards, though not in the sense of a true award. Uh, and what I predict is uh, we're all going to give our, our, our picks and then um, we're going to figure out which one is the dumb one and the other two guys are going to gang up on that guy and make fun of him for a little bit and then we'll move on to the next one. I could How be wrong, you do it? Yeah, how else? Makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> so we're going to start right off the top with favorite or uh, or and least favorite moment of the whole season. So uh, I will let you go first, Josh, uh, get things warmed up. You're the veteran here. What is your favorite moment from the whole last seven months? Well, I actually sort of spoiled this on last week's episode. Uh, it's still the, the Edwin home run against Jimenez because that was like, it was obviously it was a huge moment, but you could sort of feel it building with the two runners on and crappy Ubaldo coming in. And then when he hit it, it was the first time for me all season when we could really relax. It's like, ah, <laughs> ah finally, it's going to it's going to be OK. We're going to play a few more playoff games. Fair, <laughs> fair. Uh, my uh, my favorite moment was Donaldson's mad dash home at, at the end of the the texas series and, and i know it wasn't uh i know it wasn't important to win the series at that moment it was very cool i like it because it had a lot of poetic sort of justice for some of the texas players who had had given the jays <laughs> grief all year and i love a baseball play where everything goes right and wrong at the same time and home runs are cool but the ball flying everywhere and the people not knowing where to throw it and people almost getting thrown all that cool stuff that's exciting and to end the ball game is just awesome so Nick, what do you, what do you have right. as well, your favorite? Well, you guys, I think, took the the two kind of 
uh, signature moments of the year. And so I thought it would be good to just weigh in on the two of them and give my perspective because I agree with you. The, the two biggest ones would definitely be the, the dash home and the home run by Edwin. So I would say my favorite of the two is Donaldson's, uh, <laughs> dash home because it was just so, it was, uh, it was so close, you know, it was such all the things Greg said about it being kind of like this wild, crazy play where so much was going on and it was close. Whereas when Edwin hit the home run, I mean, it was not coming back. That ball was gone. Um, but Donaldson's Donaldson's run home. It was, it was a close call. Um, and so I'm going to go with that one. Fair enough. So, so it's I'll, interesting. Oh, go we ahead. seem to like the two for completely different reasons. Mine was because you could feel the anticipation of the moment and yours is kind of like, because it was like, just like this jagged play that was so unexpected and exciting. Yeah, exactly. And in theory, good teams aren't supposed to do that. And then they prove to do things like that all the time, right? <laughs> like, well, these guys know how to make the plays that need to be made. Where's the ball going? Who is he throwing it to? What's going on? It's like, yes, we're paying these people millions of dollars a year. Someone is to just throw the baseball wherever and try and figure out what to do with it uh, under tremendous pressure. So that was good fun. Um, so, Nick, I will give you the first crack at least favorite moment. So, uh, you know, if we have a duplicate here, you can... Uh, you can get out in front of that. <laughs> right. No, I, you know what? I don't think I have a duplicate one here. Um, so for my least favorite moment, it was the game in San Francisco when the Giants walked off the Jays on a Buster Posey walk. Um, I think Ryan Tapera was pitching. And, uh, yeah, he walked He walked Posey with the bases loaded. In, it was in extra innings, too. And, uh, yeah, the Jays, the Jays lost. And there was just something about losing on a walk-off walk that's so deflating um you know like i get i get it that bad things can happen if you throw the ball just right down the the heart of the plate <laughs> but at least there's a chance you can get it out if you know posey pops it up or something um so but without making this a referendum on pitching approach or anything like that there was it was just so such an infuriating way to end a game and to add insult to injury i don't know if you guys remember but posey actually took the time to remove his shin guard before going down to first base oh. and clinching the victory i would have to say that the only time i've seen a batter look disappointed is when he won the game on a walk-off walk i don't know i i didn't see posey do that but but just the the disappointment of um of like I didn't do anything and the game is over, but I, like I can't I can't run down to first and pump my fist or something because I'm just <laughs> what are you supposed to do? <laughs> like no matter what you do, you're showing somebody up on a walk off walk. Um, so my least favorite, I'll go next here with that is the brawl in Texas that started with the, in in Bautista's what we thought was going to be his last at bat of 2016 versus the Rangers taking one to the ribs and then a hard slide into second and then oh, it, it it went downhill and downhill and I don't like brawls period but that one just went every which direction that it should not have gone so in that respect it was for me it was just ugh, I I never I, I don't ever want to see that again and yours Josh. Well, it's, I mean, so we're both, we both picked the playoff moments and then we're both picking brawls. Uh, for me, it was that Yankees brawl because you, know, you had a Jays team that was in a situation where they could have really just put the hammer down on the Orioles. And instead, they're getting involved in this silliness with the Yankees. Donaldson gets all upset because a ball came inside. It's like, come on. Like, Severino had no idea where the ball was going. It's not like it was he was throwing at him on purpose. And then the brawl happens. 
and the Jays lose one of their key contributors because he because 39 years old and he can't jog in from the outfield. <laughs> but and, and Travis got hurt during that exchange too. It was just two guys get hurt over the stupidest thing, and it was just the ultimate like ridiculous moment. Totally against a team that was clearly not playoff bound. Yeah, exactly. It's like a team that wasn't playing for anything, and so uh, it was terrible. So our, I will go to our next category. Um, our, our next category would be biggest surprise. Now, when we talked about this, uh, some of us would wanted to have a, uh, you know, a sort of a, it's kind of difficult to define the biggest surprise. So we left this wide open. So I will, uh, I will go to you, Nick. What was your biggest surprise for the whole season? Well, um, to kind of tie it into the, the kind of the brawls as a low points of the year, one of the surprises to me was just how hated the Jays are around baseball. And, you know, <laughs> as the season wore on, you got you saw more and more kind of uh, think pieces that kind of national media were writing about how the Jays are maligned. And I don't think I'm being biased when I'm saying I don't fully understand it, um, what all the hate's about. Uh, they don't seem, and I admittedly watch the Jays more than I watch other teams, but they don't seem noticeably more boisterous or, or anything like that. So kind of on an aggregate, I yeah, I would I kind of spent the back half of the year trying to figure out what's so detestable or, or unlikable about them. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess part of it is they, they, you know, they came up last year and surprised people, and then everyone just sort of got to see all at once. You know, Bautista and Donaldson, you know, they, they're not exactly quiet guys on the field. And then you throw in the stuff with the fans throwing stuff on the field. I think it just sort of cemented everyone's opinion and made them associated with the players. Right. Yeah. There have been some blemishes on the fan side of things. That's for, for sure over the last 12 months. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, but you're I, definitely right. I mean, they're hated. The same thing happened to the Royals, though. The, the Royals were a team that people didn't really have a problem with. They were, the, you know, the plucky upstarts. And then it turns out that they have a couple guys who are kind of messed in the head. <laughs> and Complete lunatics, Greg. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, uh, and then as a result, everyone, that becomes the quote-unquote character of that team. Meanwhile, is, is you know, is Eric Hosmer really a problem? He's, but yet he yeah, gets lumped Lorenzo in. Kane. Yeah, with the Royals. Because they're, they're the Royals, right? So, um I think it does come a bit with winning that you're right about the, the the national media attention. They have to have something to talk about. And it's funny when teams are winning, they tend to be pretty happy and want to talk about how they're winning. So it is surprising how much other teams seem to dislike the Jays, but I, I could see how the media picks up on that. Um, Josh, what did you have as your biggest surprise? Yeah. Like Nick, I took some, took something that was a little more, you know, not, not something that happened on the field. For me, it was that all for the first time since I think what the early '90s, when you know when the Jays were the number one attendance team in baseball, they started throwing money around. They used it to get Upton. They used it to get Liriano. They used it to get Feldman and get rid of Chavez. I mean, they were showing flex and showing that the hey, Toronto's a big market team, and it was really nice to see it. No thoughts on that, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no! I'm I'm happy too. I was I was internally uh, as Josh was talking about them throwing money around. I was just internally like signing free agents with with all this newfound money. Uh, no, too... sorry, they spent it already. It's yeah, gone. It's gone. That was... <laughs> yeah, you've seen it. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that carries into the off season. I, I uh, 
I have an on-field moment for my biggest surprise. It was the walk-off walk, because we're good at walk-offs. I think we're going to talk about maybe one more walk-off probably as things go here. But um, Devin Travis took a 12-pitch at bat to take a walk uh, in the bottom of the 12th inning. It was just a, such a weird game. I'm looking for the date on this. July 26th was the game. Um, it's the Padres. Against the Padres. First of all, I learned something in that game that Carlos Villanueva is still in the league. Did anybody know that before <laughs> that game? Nope. Oh, if uh, if you if you're going into a, a game that's 12 or 13 innings long, that's when you call on Carlos Villanueva. Even if he's not on your team, you just call him up. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He <laughs> comes out of the woodwork. So yeah, sorry. It was a 14 pitch walk in the 12th inning, not a 12 pitch walk in the 14th. I had that wrong. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, the, the Jays were down by two runs at the start of that inning and still walked off the Padres somehow. Like, it was just... I, that whole, The whole next day, I think I was thinking, how did how did that game happen? What the heck happened? So, Didn't the Jays score a run on a strikeout wild pitch in that game, too? Uh, I think that was, yeah, earlier in the game. Not that inning, but earlier no, in the game. No, yeah, yeah, Jose Bautista struck out and they scored a run. Earlier in the earlier in the game, <laughs> it was yeah. That game was just like I don't understand baseball today. I don't know what's and happening. The Jays had no DH from the eighth inning on. <laughs> yep. If if anything dumb could possibly have happened in that game, it did, and they won anyway. Uh, so yeah, that was a shocker. If, you, if you're looking for highlights to go back over the season, I would rewatch that game in a heartbeat. Uh, maybe you'll figure it out by the end. <laughs> nope, no chance. <laughs> so. Category number three, we have uh, two names, one for the biggest breakout, one for the biggest bust. I will be rude and go first. Um, my biggest breakout was Joe Biagini, Rule 5 draft pick from the Giants. And uh, my biggest bust, I'm going to go with Michael Saunders, more or less his second half. Um, why Joe? I, I honestly, I look at all the talent that Joe Biagini brought and the, the skill that he had in the playoffs especially. He, he really didn't fade as the year went on. And I'm like... How the heck did the Jays get these guy, this guy in the Rule 5 draft? No clue. Why, why did the Giants leave him unprotected? And my only theory, and I think I've said it on the podcast because I know we've talked about it before, <laughs> is that he really, really annoyed someone in the Giants management or front office <laughs> with his sense of humor. It's really funny, too, because the Giants got eliminated because they couldn't get anybody out in the ninth inning. <laughs> <laughs> Their bullpen was just such garbage. That's why they lost. And then it's like, we've got the guy ho-hum, three ERA all season, <laughs> getting big outs in the postseason. Very you put Joe Biagini in AT&T Park and that, you know, 3.00 ERA, that, that might go down half a run, too, um, with those big power alleys. Yeah. For sure. No, yeah. it, it was a really odd decision if there's not to take him but yay <laughs> uh and michael saunders because uh despite his little resurgence in the series against cleveland he just he fell off a cliff after the all-star break um and we all knew he was going to come back to whatever michael saunders normal was i got that but wow um i i think i must have heard buck and tabler say oh I, he's, he seems to be coming out of it for like 50 times <laughs> in the course of a month or a month and a half and it never seemed to turn around so i i like michael saunders i i don't think he's that bad but I, he does qualify as my my big bust for the season um nick who did you have on your picks 
Uh, for me, I have uh, for a breakout. I'd say I have probably probably Marco Estrada. And huh. f- so I, I was just gonna say, for those of us not named Josh Housem, uh, <laughs> I think there was still some uncertainty to varying degrees going into the season about Estrada's ability to pitch kind of towards the top of a rotation. Goals. <laughs> and I just think, yeah, like he showed that he was able to do it. You know, things like limiting hard contact and the spin rate he's generating. Um, you know, he he's he showed that he's able to do it and he's able to be successful. And, you know, we saw the emergence of National League Marco Estrada this year, too, in, in Kyle Hendricks that, you know, I think validates the approach of kind of the fastball change even more. Um, and so I think he would I would put him as the biggest breakout on the team. Um, and then for bust, I'd, I'd say this and only qualifying him as a bust relative to expectations. But Marcus Stroman, because um, he came into the year and a lot of people were thinking of him as kind of the nominal ace of the staff. And, you know, he ended up with basically the same ERA as their number five starter, R.A. Dickey. So it's not to say he's a bad pitcher or there's not room for improvement. Um, but I do think he kind of failed to meet expectations. Uh, I would say please send your complaints to uh, care of Nick Dyka, uh, P.O. Box. <laughs> 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 we're gonna get like somehow Stay- Stroman's gonna retweet this and it's like hype doesn't measure hearts you'll see me when I come back or something like that actually I have a theory on this too um, so one of the friends of the podcast uh, Dr. Mike Son he's done some research presenting evidence that pitch clocks in baseball um, and reduced time in between pitches increase the risk of injury and fatigue and Stroman is one of the quickest workers in the major league in terms of the time he takes in between pitches so my conspiracy theory here is that he struggles the third time through the order because he's a little more tired than a pitcher who takes more time in between uh Mm. in between pitches so hopefully somebody smarter than me can figure out if there's anything to that or not but there that's that's not me or greg (laughs) (laughs) paging dr mike son yeah josh yeah, well, I, I'm going to go backwards, bust first, because it's sort of on the similar vein. It's not a guy who had a bad season necessarily, but, you know, Jose Bautista. He's going into his free agent year, coming off two monster seasons. And, yeah, expectations were through the roof. I thought he was going to have, like, you know, one of his best seasons of the last few years. You know, hit, you know, his batting average, who cares? But another 400 on base season with 40 bombs. And it, it didn't happen. You know, he got hurt twice. And when he was healthy, he still was walking, but the power wasn't there. He was striking out a lot more. He just didn't look like the guy we'd seen and that we were expecting to see, especially for one who wanted six years, $150 million. And then for my well, breakout guy... six years, $150 million. I, I, I will say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, True. I want six years and $150 million too, if you... Frankly, but... I won't sign for anything less than seven two hundred. But uh, my my breakout was <laughs> was back on the staff as well. Sanchez, I mean, there were other guys who did potentially as well, which we'll get to later on. But this is a guy who hadn't done it. He'd never really had extreme success in a major league rotation. When he pitched last year, he couldn't get past the fifth inning really in any outing, and he just dominated from the beginning of the season to the end. And you know he was still pitching, and he dominated in the in the ALCS. And it looks like the Jays found their true ace. It was the other half of the uh, the Strochez. I think the fact that he uh, his control problems are something people don't even talk about anymore. Yeah. 
says probably just about everything about Aaron Sanchez that that needs to be said. Uh, although his incredible ability to throw 75, 78% fastballs and people still can't figure him out says something about just how electric his arm is. And I actually liked something he did this year too as the season went along. He started throwing a lot more four-seam fastballs. So it's like teams are going to start sitting on the two-seamer and all of a sudden he throws this other thing that goes right above their bats for the strikeouts. It really added another uh, element to his game that wasn't there before and it I think took him to the next level as a pitcher. Well, I think we still love him. I think we've loved him for quite a while, <laughs> quite a while <laughs> <Really>? around here. <laughs> Aaron Sanchez, you're easy to love. Uh, okay, so most surreal moment. I like uh, this category. Yeah, this is uh, what, what the, the moment where you didn't understand what was going on. Nick, what did you have? Oh, and it's not just because it's fresh in my mind, but uh, losing, seeing your season go down the drain uh, when Ryan Merritt and the Cleveland bullpen are, are on the mound I think for me was the most surreal. I'm, and I completely understand how in, in one game of baseball, you know, anything's possible. Doesn't mean the Jays hitters are bad or anything like that, but it's still pretty surreal to see the season slip away as a guy who spent a year in the minor leagues is pumping in 89 mile fi- per hour fastballs and beating Edwin and, and Tulo. Um, 89? <laughs> <laughs> once or twice. <laughs> I, I think oh, we saw the Jays do that a few times this year where, uh, you know, I, I, I had a joke tweet. It was always in full caps. The Blue Jays are here to help whenever someone said <laughs> a, a, a new uh, a new strikeout, personal strikeout best or uh, the most number of swings and misses or, you know, the, the, he's gone the deepest into an outing that he'd ever gone during the season. It seemed like the Blue Jays were on the end of that. And not that overall they weren't a good hitting team. But they they literally took a vacation for some of the games this year, and I I didn't understand it. So maybe it wasn't as surprising to me when it happened in the playoffs. I was just like, oh, it's one of those games. Uh, that's a really lousy time to have that. Yeah, it didn't work out well. <laughs> that was not a fun game to be at. <laughs> yeah, that that's painful to know you want to stick around for all nine innings because you paid for them. I could turn it off much easier. Yeah. So Josh, you had a surreal moment too, of course. Sadly, it's also against Cleveland. <laughs> Mine was a regular season version, though. Uh, so this was in, when the Jays were playing in Cleveland. Uh, Osuna was on the game. Jays are up by one. Gives up a game-tying run to, home run to Jose Ramirez. And we're just like, oh, crap. Oh, that sucked. Next batter up. <laughs> Jason Naquin, or Tyler Naquin. Fly ball to right center. Oh, okay, Saunders is there. And he misses it. It's like, oh, darn, double. And then... The ball just rolls and rolls. <laughs> and there's, nobody. there's nobody there. And all of a sudden, Upton comes in the picture and falls down. And it's like an game-winning walk-off inside the park home run. It was just like, it was so surreal. It was like, what is happening? First, how did Saunders miss that? And then where was Upton? Did he fall down on the way to the first second fall down? What happened there? Um, Yeah, I think that qualifies as surreal. You certainly... That that the big empty field with just a ball in it. Whenever you see footage <laughs> yeah. of that, is is the weirdest part. It's like I could swear there should be an outfielder in the picture any minute now. And it's like it's not it's not like it was a play where you know the right fielder was going for a ball in the corner and he dove and missed it. Okay, this was a ball <laughs> in the gap at the wall. Upton should have been trying to catch it. 
Who he knows? wasn't in the picture. Uh, that, uh, Upton has been accused, accused of lollygagging in his career a few times, so uh, maybe he was uh, engaging in a little bit of that at the end of the game. The, the fact that he never even made the throw because he fell down and he's sitting on his backside and <laughs> didn't even bother to throw it in was something else, too. Uh, mine was also a regular season game. Uh, it wasn't something that happened on the field, though. Jose Bautista, as we had mentioned earlier with the brawl, he got suspended. And I'm not even going to go into the fact that he got suspended, but Matt Bush, the guy who hit him, didn't. Um, he had a had to do something, so he decided to attend the Raptors game the day he was suspended, which is cool. But before the Raptors game, I guess he had some time to kill. So Bautista went into the booth... And he did what kids do on Junior J Saturday. He announced the the he was the PA announcer. <laughs> like, what is going on? I was like, is this really happening? This was so uh, yeah. That kind of just blew my mind in the middle of the season. It's like yeah, and your uh, your number four hitter is uh, unavailable because he's announcing, and he's he's saying funny things about him too. His thing was it was Kevin number eleven Kevin I catch everything Pilar was the one they have on uh, on the clip. So he's he's got yeah, jokes. It was, it was, it's like man, it's a surreal. Was definitely a good way to describe that. It's like this is just not the way this is supposed to be happening. <laughs> he should be on the field with these guys. Uh, well, at least he had a good time. We'll give him that. <laughs> so we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna go with the high point of the season first. Mm. Did we had well, and obviously we we know what the low point. No, we don't even know what the low point was. We'll get there in a sec. Uh, high point for Josh. What was what was your big moment there? So for me, it was early July when the Jays went on that seven-game win streak. And then in July 8th, Hap went out five and two-thirds against the Tigers. But he struck out nine guys, didn't give up a run. And when they won that game, they'd scored 55 runs in seven games. And we're like, finally, finally, this team is hitting. And we're like, oh, it just felt good. It's like, okay, the team has woken up. And then the All-Star break happened and it ended. (laughs) But for that break shining moment it felt like 2015 again uh for me it was the winning the last two games of the season in Fenway against the team that was in theory you know better than us that had a better month than than the Jays they got the two and it, it put them into the wild card so that was and with home field advantage so that that made them in control of their own destiny for the first time in I don't know how long everything else was like Especially that last week was like, oh my god, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't even know if every time it seemed like the Jays screwed up, every other team that was in contention for the wild card won. It was just ridiculous. So seeing them being in control of their own destiny at the end of the game, that was the high point for me. It was like, all right, we're going to the playoffs. We're going to have home field advantage. This is this is fairly cool. Nick, yeah, Greg, I, I agree with you. I think that last weekend uh, when they locked down the wild card would be my high point as well. Uh, I think. And there was there was something to how they won those games, too, where after kind of a year of basically changing expectations, you know, coming into the year, we thought there were going to be this, you know, high octane offense that that bludgeons their opponents uh, to death. And and by the end of the year, you know, we, we started to realize that that's not who this team was. And to see them win those last two games at, you know, as as low scoring tight games on, you know, on the strength of their pitching kind of put like a nice, I think kind of period at the end of the regular season that this is the team. This is the team. Now this is how they're going to win games. And 
we're going to go to the playoffs uh, on the strength of that pitching and, and on this team. And so I think, you know, seeing Sanchez throw the game that he threw in Boston uh, the last day of the year was was a really strong strong way to end a, a great season, even though it was one we were not planning to go the way it did. So just in the cat, just on this game that you're just talking about, I considered for my surreal moment in that game when Osuna balked in the tying run. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> that was crazy. And then somehow they win the game when Ezekiel Carrera coming up for the third time in the game with a runner on third and one out failing to cash the first two times succeeds against Craig Kimbrell in in Fenway like, in left field here? where of all the yeah. places that you might not be able to hit a sack fly <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm thinking Fenway is is your least uh appropriate target for that thank god Dalton Pompey was pinch running <laughs> yeah uh yeah it worked out weirdness so that would be do you have a low point Nick in mind uh I would say for me, rock bottom was getting swept in New York in September. Um, you know, and I think part of it is just the the mentality because in 2015, the Jays were a playoff team, but it wasn't really a playoff race. Um, they were so good. They basically just, you know, once July, the end of July came around, they were blowing past everybody. They weren't jockeying for position with anybody. Um, and this season was kind of a full on playoff race. Um, but those three games in New York felt like the end. Um, everything just seemed to be going wrong. You know, they were even the close games were, uh, were the game where they almost came back in the top of the ninth and smoke, uh, you know, almost put it over uh, the fence, the opposite field. But Gardner was able to hold on. Like everything just felt like it was going wrong. And just given the amount of teams that were still in the race at that point, and they were playing a Yankee team that was, you know, against all odds, kind of crawling back into it on the fringes anyway and so when they lost those games i i think that was for me like a, oh god what's what's happening this was aaron sanchez's you know increased workload was all for naught and yeah with you know jose and edwin are gone that was for me a low point when i was <laughs> ripping my hair out nick got ahead of himself <laughs> oh yep. very much so yeah. uh yeah you do have to play all 162 my my low point was uh september the whole month that the whole <laughs> going all through and and they were below 500 in in uh, april and then they worked themselves above 500 in may and they played well in june and they played decent in july and, and august like not they weren't all great months but they were all good months and they just crawled into first place and then they it's it's like they ran out of gas i was just that whole month i was like oh and they were only 11 and 16 at the end of the month but while the red Sox were winning 11 games in a row the blue jays were staring wondering if their shoelaces were tied it seemed like and it was just i was like oh well i, I could have dealt with that in june much better and then seeing them make up the ground in september seeing it the other way around was just crushing to me yeah well i, I i'm gonna Join you guys. <laughs> Take mine a little more specific. So, uh, Greg, you were the whole month. Nick, you were the Yankees. I was I, a little bit longer. So, like, the, you know, the Yankees sucked that series. Where they got swept. And then Boston comes into town, and Jace had the chance to get their uh, to get back even, and they blew that game. But then Tampa comes to town, and 
The Jays, the last two games of that series, they got outscored 14 to three. And in both games, their bullpen blew the game wide open in the sixth or seventh inning. And it was just awful baseball. And I remember tweeting out, it's like, Everyone's saying, well, the Jays only need to win so-and-so, you know, six of ten going the rest of the way. And, and I was like, does anybody at this point really expect that to happen? <laughs> it's like, I, I honestly, like, I I could, obviously it could happen, be, and it, you know, the team is still good, but it just, it didn't feel like there, it was going to happen. It's just like, this is it. This team has hit the bottom. I think what, what happened to the Jays, every time they got bad, if you will, this year, and I know we're talking about an 89-win team, strangely enough, but was the fans uh, could not you could not see a path from the sixth inning to the last out of the ninth. There was there was always something in the way of of getting there. Whether they were going to send in you know left-handed pinch hitters and John Gibbons didn't have a lefty at his, his disposal, or whether you know that we were someone was used up or tired, and you were going to have to go to the secondary guys who you know like. What was the guy who he pitched like three innings this year? He was left-handed. I can't even remember his name now. That's Aaron Loop. No, well, <laughs> him. Oh, sorry, you said Matt, three, not Matt seven. Dermody, Chad Gerardo. Yeah, <laughs> like, the, when you saw these guys on the roster, you're like, gosh, I hope he doesn't have to use any of these guys. Gibbons is going to have a, and that was exactly what would happen. But that I was, it was weird to have a whole season where the first five innings weren't really a major concern. The last time in 2013 and 2014 when this team was bad, it was like, well, if we can get out of the, the third without allowing four runs, maybe we can get through this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's yeah, it's very weird for the Jays to have a great starting rotation, one through five, and then not be able to figure out how to get those maybe seven or eight outs to get to Osuna. Well, that's what made those two games specifically so bad because the starting pitching wasn't good either. Both Stroman and Estrada didn't throw well. They're just like, oh god, the, <laughs> the starting. This, this, so the starting pitching has finally caved as well when nothing else is working. <laughs> and Josh got ahead of himself. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I admit it. Yeah. Well, we all get ahead of ourselves. There's a reason the ridiculous 162 game schedule is still intact is because it. Uh, you need that many. You just do. Though I would accept a 154-game schedule if uh, Major League Baseball is listening. I'd be fine with that if it was balanced. It's probably Good luck getting the owners to give up that money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we'll move on to our next category, the player we most enjoyed watching. Um, Nick, I, I, I give this to you as your, your favorite player to watch this year. I never right, get to for- start. <laughs> hmm? would you like to josh go ahead no, go ahead yeah um i'm trying to be fair <laughs> i just want to complain greg, greg greg is nothing if not egalitarian um i'm gonna look that yeah, up for... and i'm gonna tell you whether or not that's true <laughs> um yeah no for me the my favorite player to watch or i you know what the most entertaining player that's that's the question and that's how i'm gonna answer it most entertaining player to watch uh, not necessarily favorite player to watch, but most entertaining to watch would be uh, Jose Batista because because <laughs> good or bad, whatever Jose is doing, it's entertaining. The things he does well, he does masterfully. You know, he controls the strike zone. Uh, he hits for power when he's not suffering from turf toe and a bevy of other injuries. Yeah, I, I did have thing- a, Well, oh, go on, and I have a question to follow. <laughs> yeah. 
But I was going to say the things he doesn't do well are still entertaining because when you see him like go ham on the bases and make some crazy kind of like boneheaded play or you see him kind of like half go after a ball in right field, um, that's kind of entertaining too in, in that, you know, he there's it's kind of if you can laugh about it and not get too frustrated it's just he's entertaining good or bad so i that's, i'd go batista so was he entertaining when he tripped over his own shoelace and had to go on the dl was that an entertaining moment for you i mean if i can <laughs> remove myself enough from it and and you know the jace fandom part of me it is kind of fun <laughs> remove the injury from the moment and just look at it happen yeah, I mean, I guess the 2012 exactly. yeah. Astros were entertaining, but you wouldn't want to subject yourself to that. Oh, I don't. I disagree completely. They had some of the worst plays I've ever seen that it was totally <laughs> worth it. I'd rather have that than mediocrity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Did you have a most entertaining <laughs> or most enjoyed player, Josh? Yeah, I did. And I'm not going with Marco Estrada. I no. feel a little dirty. No, but I'm not. I still go with the pitcher. You know, I gotta gotta stay true to myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it's Aaron Sanchez. I, I love just watching him make really really good hitters just look really really stupid. Just like fastball, 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 <laughs> and then just like, ground ball, strikeout, ground ball. It was amazing. And then he and then around then it's like okay, here comes a curveball, and they miss it by three feet. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he was just a joy to watch because he just seemed to put it all together. I mean, it might be the best season of his career. I hope not. I hope it gets even better. But you can't ask for more than what he gave. No, you, you can't ask for more innings and you can't ask for, for, for more straight dominance. Like there were he took some of the best offenses in the American League and he made him look stupid for an entire evening, which was fantastic. And he did it a lot. Well, he yeah, the... he's he's an. He's in that class of pitcher where if you're ever watching a game and then you momentarily think about just like putting yourself in a hitter's position, he's one of those pitchers where you think, oh, my God, if like I was there trying to hit this, I would literally my pants like he's <laughs> bleep button. He's that right. it. Oh. oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. Oh, welcome again, Nick. <laughs> Glad that's, to have you back. That's strike two. That's strike two. <laughs> My son's going to be so upset. Yeah, he keeps forgetting to, to curse. <laughs> My favorite player is uh, is Roberto Osuna to watch because uh, I get to watch him fairly frequently in small doses. Uh, and it's been a long time since the Jays have had what I considered a, you know, a traditional closer. The blow him away with the fastball, have, have one or two other incredible pitches to, to mess with guys and his little post game celebration with Russell Martin, the little door knock. I love that. I, that's it warms it's my heart good. every time he gets to do that. And he's what? It's 21. Just, yeah. Blowed away the record for most days before turning 22. We should talk about this quickly because the little newsy thing, even though we're doing 2016's right recap, they said recently that he is staying as a closer. No, there was talk before the season. Should he start? What should his role be? He's the closer. That's it. He's the guy who's going to lock down the games at the end. I respect that. I do. I, I can see why I'm at this point, with all the assets they have in the rotation, you wouldn't necessarily want to sure. choke out the rotation with an extra guy. Would I be surprised to find out if a couple of guys get hurt that they don't talk to him about stretching him out at some point? No, I wouldn't be surprised. But I can see why they're not worrying about it right now. 
Yeah. Anyway, he's awesome. Do you like the, do you like the door knock neck? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was trying to think of like other kind of like great Jay's closers and I think Osuna in terms of performance art, like he's in a class by himself. Um you know like BJ Ryan. Ward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and even Ward, like he, he got jacked up when he'd when he'd save a game, but I think there's a an element of creativity to the to the door knock and like his his rapport with Martin that is uh unique to to this incarnation of the Jay's ninth inning tandem. As long I was really as... hoping that one time when Josh Toy was catching, he'd open up the doors like ah and slam it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> what are you doing? Get out of my house. Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh do you, Josh, have a, a least favorite player you'd like to talk about? Yeah, well, not a least favorite player, just a guy that frustrated me watching him. It's Russell Martin. He had that little stretch where he was on fire in August. But for a lot of the season, he's just like going up there, just I'm going to swing out of my shoes at everything and hit nothing. And it was just so frustrating. It's like, ah, just cut it down. Hit the ball where it's thrown. Ah, ah. Like it's 0-2 and and he's like coming out of his shoes on sliders off the plate. Just come on. Make an adjustment. Um, Josh, do you think it's injury-related? Um, no. Like Martin's like kind of ebbs and flows are re- results of like kind of like nagging injuries. I mean, I think brain that plays injury. a part. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I think that, that plays a part. But I mean, it, the approach—they were obviously different approaches from when he was successful and when he wasn't. I would argue that he was building up to the ground out in the ALDS that that won them the game. That he was—you have to ground out enough times to set yourself up for that. You can't just ground out once and get it in exactly the right spot to force an error like that. Yeah, he had to train himself for like how to quickly break off the ground ball to get down the line as fast as possible. I like where your head's at. It's called the long con. (laughs) Yes, the longest con. How do you explain the ALCS? Um, I don't have any explanations for the ALCS. I think that's been quite clear for a whole week now. Uh, <laughs> so next, least least watchable player or least entertaining yeah, player? Yeah, so for for me, it's uh, and it's not anything about him. It's just the knuckleball. Like the, the randomness and repetitive nature of watching the knuckleball is just so tedious for me. So it's, it's R.A. Dickey. And because it's even when he's got it dancing, you still have no idea where it's going or if the catcher is even going to be able to catch it. Um, you know, then there's the sporadic pepper in the sporadic home runs. And it's just a really hard thing to watch uh, for me. And, you know, now that he's going to be gone via free agency, you know, the Jays are going to miss having him on the roster and in the Toronto community. But personally, in terms of just watching him on the mound pitch, I'm not going to miss watching that knuckleball. And I fully acknowledge I say that now. And then next year when the Jays number five starter has an ERA of five and a half, I'm going to be like, I want him back. (laughs) I don't want to watch him. I just want to know he was there every fifth day being decent. Right. And also, that way, you know, it's like, okay, you know what? I just, I I can take this game off to go hang out with some friends or, you know, in your case, Greg, see the wife and the kid. (laughs) They might win, but I just don't need to watch this one. Yeah, we we know pretty much how it's going to go. I would say that I I agree that novelty of the knuckleball, uh, it did wear off faster than I thought it would. Um, 
because it was never fantastic. It was always good-ish, and there were times when it was, you know, uh, as good as it needed to be. But then it would just, one the next start, it would be like, oh, he doesn't have it this time around. Great. Okay. We can go home now. Um, just weird. Uh, my least favorite player uh, to watch was Drew Storen because it was clear <laughs> whatever he had, he didn't have it anymore, and he didn't know what to do with what he had left. Uh, I think he threw, in my mind, he threw three good sliders all year while he was with the Jays, and that was about it. And, and everything else was yeah. just painful. He, he left his velocity bad. in Washington. He did yeah, he not did. bring it with him. He left everything there. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so we're going to try and... Uh, we don't have a lot of time, but we're going to try and come to a consensus about our best and worst um, here, and then we're going to have a do-over. So, best hitter and worst hitter. So, best hitter first. I have Edwin Encarnacion, just as a pure hitter, not considering his defense. Josh, you have? I went with Donaldson. And Nick, the steps he took in getting on base this year. Nick has. Oh yeah, I, I take Donaldson too. And I mean, even just in the playoffs, like he was clearly injured, and he was still able to be very productive, even with his power sapped. And um, yeah, I think I think Donaldson uh, takes the cake. So I have been outvoted. We have Josh Donaldson as our best hitter, our worst hitter. This may actually be more more, more difficult to decide, which is sad, really. <laughs> more worthy candidates. <laughs> I have Ryan Goins, who once upon a time, I would just briefly say, figured out that his best strategy was to not swing the bat, and then he forgot that that was his best strategy, and he's been horrible ever since. Uh, Josh, who do you have? Uh, I'm going with the two Joshes in this award. Josh Tolley. I mean, God. The guy, the guy didn't have an RBI that wasn't himself until July 10th. Clutch. He just, oh, <laughs> he was just so bad. I mean, he got worse. Last year he was terrible. He got worse. And Nick, um, for me, I think uh, quantity is important, and I'm going with Kevin Pillar. Uh, he's just, his plate approach is just so bad. If you look at a walk percentage leaderboard on like uh, on fan graphs or anything. The guys that are surrounding Kevin Pillar are backup catchers and pitchers. And like, Rugi Odor. Yeah, and Rugi Odor. But like Jaime Garcia's walk rate as a as a batter is like within half a percentage point of Kevin Pillar's. If <laughs> if if Pillar walks one less time, Steven Strasburg will have the same walk rate as him. It's crazy. He's just so impatient at the plate. And when you you have that approach over you know, the 550 at-bats that he's allowed to take during the year, I feel like it's a little uh, it's a little more detrimental than uh, kind of like the backup catcher or or infielder. Okay, I, I can't vote for Bilar because he can actually do something with the ball when he puts the bat on it. So I would like to vote for Bilar, but um, unless Josh is going to come around to Ryan Goins, I'm going to go with Tolley. Josh? I think we can just give them the co-award. They were both awful. Okay, the, we, the Goins-Tole award for worst hitter goes to Goins and Tole. <laughs> uh, the best pitcher. Uh, Josh, who do you have as the best overall pitcher this year? I feel so bad. I didn't pick Estrada for any of these. Yeah, J-Hap. Don't know what you were thinking. J-Hap, because he got the wins, got the innings. Yeah, and he just deal. dominated from, from the beginning to end. And, you know, He threw career high in innings, got the strikeouts. He was just awesome. All right, Nick. <laughs> Give me a name. I'm going with 
I'm going with Sanchez. Uh, you know, he was the ERA leader in the AL. Um, you know, when when it was clear that Price wasn't coming back and uh, you know, the pitching rotation was kind of a question mark last offseason. I think Sanchez did the most this year to kind of fill that that void of kind of like a top tier starter um, in terms of just, yeah, his ability to get people out. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm going with Sanchez. And I agree with your Sanchez pick, actually. I wasn't necessarily expecting you to say that. So, Josh, you've been outvoted. <laughs> the, uh, the Blue Jays Cy Young winner is Aaron Sanchez. Uh, what is People the opposite- focusing too much on ERA. <laughs> <laughs> Hammers and bullets, baby. Uh, okay. The worst pitcher. I-, I have mentioned already Drew Storen was painful to watch, and uh, he was only here for three and a half months or whatever. I still haven't picked as the worst pitcher, but that's going to be a common theme, I bet. Josh, who was your worst pitcher? Well, another guy who wasn't here for very long, <laughs> it was Jesse Chavez. So th- just quick, this is a stat called uh, running, sp- running expectancy 24 outs. There are 24 situations. Basically, it's like how much you change the game situation by your pitching. Jesse Chavez, over the season, changed the run expectancy to plus seven runs for the opponents over the course of the season as a relief pitcher. Plus seven. He he just kept giving up bombs over and over and over again with runners on base. And next pick to click for the worst pitcher. Ooh, this is this is kind of like Sophie's choice if you want them both to to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I mean, I guess maybe just Storin because he was in a lot of high leverage situations at the beginning of the year, and I'm I feel a little bit slighted because I don't know if you guys remember the series in September in Seattle uh, when he came in in that close game and he struck two guys out. I felt like it added insult to injury enough that that's going to be the the one that tips the scales on this. All right. So what's our final yeah. verdict? Oh, Storin. Oh, they're just they <laughs> just the seventh inning. It just they were terrible. <laughs> we, yeah, I don't think you can vote for an inning when you're doing an award, Josh. You can't. I can't like, when I'm talking about the Jays' early season bullpen. <laughs> I'm taking it. All I'm right. overriding you guys. I don't care if I don't have the authority to do it. The, the seventh inning was, was not available to come by and claim their award. <laughs> <laughs> um most improved uh all right who would i be fair to, to to give the most improved pick to first uh myself that seems fair um i think ezekiel carrera i think he uh he really came through when he needed to come to so i i give um i give all points to him for turning it up a notch during the playoffs josh i'm uh, going with hap again you know he took what he was doing in pittsburgh and turned it to the next level and become a Cy Young candidate. You know, started being able to go deep in games and still get strikeouts and ground balls. He was, he was awesome. Groovy. And Mr. Nick? Yeah, I think um, I'd go, if I was going to pick a third guy, I'd pick Biagini because he was a guy who had never pitched above double A and the Jays leaned on him pretty heavily uh, throughout the whole year. And just knowing trying how to much... pick a winner. Oh, sorry. Half. Half for sure. <laughs> <laughs> switched on it uh all right so our most improved player jay hap good for him uh okay so we're going to do the thing that we normally do which is the do over we do a do over every week we're going to do one for the whole year because we all we did talk about this one before and we feel that there is one situation that we could really really afford to not have done the way it was done josh 
take it away. <laughs> well, it all started back in September. When or September, back in spring training. I screwed it up already. Do over. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll allow it. Yeah. You know, Sanchez shows up 25 pounds heavier. I want to be a starter. And then you just like collective Shapiro and Atkins. Oh, no. <laughs> and then you dominate spring training and so along Gavin Floyd. And it's like, who's going to start? Gavin Floyd or Aaron Sanchez? And then the Aaron Sanchez starter reliever debate lingered all season and the viewpoints changed daily it seems from the front office and then it really flared up as sanchez hit like did he hit an innings limit or something in august it just went kaboom we're gonna no it was before that it was like just before the trade deadline where they came out and basically said he's going to get shut down at some point soon it's just like start to start at this point and then they went out and traded for francisco lariano and then like well <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's that well that we would really love to not have heard about at all. Why was that a media discussion? <laughs> Theories next? Like just, did somebody cave I, in there? I don't know and I don't understand why knowing they wanted to be cautious with him and I guess limit his innings, they only skipped him once or twice in the first half of the season. So I don't understand if if this was such a concern just skip him, you know, in in April, in May, in June. Just you know, skip him every, once every three starts or something, and then they're uh, they're in the clear because it was pretty terrifying, you know, as a fan of the team watching in uh, August and September as the most important games of the year were coming, and we're just like, are they gonna are they gonna shut him down? Why did they tell us they were gonna shut him down? He shouldn't be shut down. That doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> How many times did we have to debate this on the podcast? It's like, we don't know, but... <laughs> and the part that blew me away is it really didn't seem like it, until the fourth month of the season, anyone walked up to Aaron Sanchez and his agent and said, so what do you want to do? Like, should he not have been involved in that discussion? At least at least involved. Not that they're necessarily going to give him a choice, but just approach him and say, okay, this is what we're, we're thinking of doing in a month. Or this is how we want to handle you this month. Like, what? Where was he? And it seemed very much like, well, and then we decided to all sit down and have a chat about it. It's August. It's a little late to have the chat. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, and then uh, when it first came out, like, that they had said he's going to go to the pen, which is, again, end of July, early August. He the players like Russell Martin, like, I, this is nuts. Like, he's our best pitcher. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Other than J-Hap. Uh, it, <laughs> it, was, it was just so crazy that it was filtering down to the players to the media to the fans and then it's like yeah you know what he's just gonna start till we think he's gonna arm his arm's gonna fall off beautiful so we would like to offer up a do-over to the front office if you have a decision uh like that even if you have one next year we just don't want to hear about it until it's already decided that's not yeah, the that less hard, information the better for yeah. for us yep just one day he won't be there he'll be <laughs> sitting in triple a what happened? <laughs> but that, that it would only be one story, not like six of them. They don't Speaking even of this... have to tell us AAA. They can just say he went to visit his grandma or something. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when they sent him down to skip him that one start and people were like, oh my God, what are they doing? It's because the crazy message all season had people confused. Also, people don't understand option rules. But if they had just not said anything all year and been like, yeah, we're just going to give him a couple days off, they wouldn't have had the same freak out. Nope. No, they pretty much made it blow up even bigger than it ever needed to blow up. 
Ah, so. Doer of the year. Aaron Sanchez, who never made it to the bullpen, is our doer of the year. And our final award uh, isn't an award at all. We just, uh, this is an opportunity for you two gentlemen to give us your final thoughts on the 2016 Toronto Blue Jays. Because, uh, go for it, Nick. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Um, yeah, so kind of focusing on the fact that 2016 was another year uh, where the Jays made it to the ALCS. And, you know, it as great a year as it was, it does still in some ways feel like an untimely or, or early exit. Um, my final thoughts were, would just be I'd caution fans and followers of the team not to diagnose the failures of the team based on the strengths of the team that beat them in the playoffs. Because this is now the second year we've seen you know, a Jays team make it to the playoffs. And last season we heard all about how smart the Royals were for building a great bullpen and how the Jays needed to do that. And that was the talk of a lot of kind of the 2015 offseason was how the Jays needed to build a strong bullpen. And, you know, we, we've complained enough about Drew Storen, but anyway, we know how that <laughs> turned out. And this year, the bullpen was pretty shaky at times during the regular season, but the bullpen pitched really well in the playoffs. I don't think they, they only allowed one run, and that came off Francisco Liriano's noggin. So, two, but yeah. Yeah, two, sorry, yeah. So it wasn't even an issue come the playoffs. And now I, I'm starting to hear things kind of creep into the discussion about the Jays needing to adopt kind of like the Cleveland style of play where they need to deploy platoons, get faster, more contact oriented, like stuff like that. And I just wouldn't let one bad series in October dictate how the team should build a roster because, you know, as we know, anything can happen and in such a, a small series of games and, you know, platoons to me, I would rather have the Jays secure a player good enough to hit against both-handed pitchers than you know just employing a platoon of Lonnie Chisenhall and Rajai Davis or something you know um yeah so I I would say kind of my final thought is to just not not let what happened right at the end as tough as it is and as hard as it is to swallow you know I don't think I don't want the team to kind of like go go all in on trying to like reshape the roster if it doesn't make sense and I agree that, yeah, you don't want that recency bias in there. And and I don't think this is a front office that will do that. Um, my final thought is that I am going to miss the Encarnacion Bautista Blue Jays because I really can't see both of them coming back. And, and even if both of them come back, they are both guys who are on the downside of their careers. And I do expect a bunch more deals to happen in this um, this period of, of time. So... I, I this team has been built on those two guys and then a bunch of other supporting players in the past six, seven, eight years. So it's going to be really strange to have that not be the core of this team. Um, and then some of the other players like Brett Cecil, who we've been familiar with for a long time, to not be there anymore. So I'm curious, but I'm also kind of nostalgic for this version of the Blue Jays. Whether or not the playoff window is actually closing, I don't know. But certainly the the feeling about how this team is or who this team is made up of is going to change. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen there, but I hope you all enjoyed the Bautista and Carnacion Blue Jays. Cause chances are that this is their legacy. And I'm yeah. going to give the last word to you, Josh. That's how nice I am. Oh, thank you, Greg. <laughs> but uh, yeah, mine is not going to be quite as rosy as yours, but for me, it's like my look back and the final thoughts of this team, just 
I've never been through a tougher season as a fan. I think I aged 15 years in the last two months. It was just, you know, I mean, what we were expecting, where they were a great team, they made the postseason, and that was exciting. But during the season, they never really had a string where they beat people or even just games. Just every game was tight, even the wins. They win four, three, five, four, three, one. And it was always just like, oh, God, come on, come on, come on. And at the end, you just feel drained. <laughs> so it was a draining, draining season. Wore you out. They did. I was just done. I would have to but, say that. Uh, go ahead. I won't interrupt your final, final thought. Oh, so I was just basically agreeing. It's just, you know, but I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed being able to get to the end and watch postseason baseball again and get to the LCS. But man, was that draining. <laughs> I have I, some of the worst teams that I watched the Blue Jays, the 81 and 81 team, in a lot of ways, seem to have better nights than this 89 win team on a regular yeah. basis. Now, I don't know how this team won 89 games, to be perfectly honest. No clue. Really good pitching. That's <laughs> 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 the answer. Oh, so in that light, um, I will I will bring the show to a close, which is to say that uh, you were Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and uh, Nick Dyka at Nick underscore Dyka. No, it's no, just, uh, just Nick Dyka. Nick Dyka. You guys are so uncreative. There's not a lot of us. It's like you want people to find you on Twitter, not like me, at Coolhead2010. Uh, this has been episode number 35 of the Artificial Turf Wars, and we will be back in two weeks because it's the offseason, and uh, that's how we roll in the offseason. Have a good one, folks. Yeah, not much is going to happen the next week. Oh.